This is Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan and your host on Ask BBB is Jennifer Matthews, CEO of BBB Serving Western Ontario. Thanks, Jim, and good morning, everyone. Well, Jennifer, here we are at the beginning of September. The Labor Day weekend almost seems like the beginning of a new year. It's a fresh start on a blank page for those starting a new school year. There is no tradition of New Year's resolutions, but it is a great time to begin routines or to get projects that were put on the back burner as we enjoyed the leisure of summer. Well, there is something new that we want to talk about this morning. It's a new scam that's popping up that involves Instagram. It surfaced on BBB Scam Tracker, and we'll share the highlights from the report of a fake notice from Instagram that is designed to steal your account. And our guests this morning both help people plan for the future. We'll talk to a lawyer who specializes in wills and estates to learn why you should have a will, even though it won't be needed for many years to come. And our first guest helps people prepare for the future with financial planning. David J. Elliott is the president of Sutherland Elliott Insurance and Thames Financial. David, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, uh, Jennifer, and good to see you again, Jim, too. David, is financial planning more than just retirement planning? Yeah, financial planning is one part of, of retirement planning. So when you're young and you're accumulating some wealth, it's a great time to start to put some money away. And that's why you need a financial plan. That financial plan allows you to plan for your future, where you hope to be able to retire, whether it's an age thing or whether it's a accumulation of money. Um, but retirement planning is just one element of financial planning. It's, it's pretty much financial planning is, is pretty important. And how much do you need to have to start a financial plan? Well, are you talking about how much money you need? Or are you talking how much about... money or how far into your <laughs> career or, or where should we first start contacting you? Um, I would say any time where you think that it's time for you to have that conversation. When when you talk about when is the right time for somebody to start a financial plan, and this will sound a little funny, but it's when you're a baby. So when your parents decide that it's time for you to have some money set aside for education funds, and the government's going to help to match some of that and help it to grow, boy, I can show you how that can grow to a sizable fund to help with education pretty fast. But all seriousness, probably as soon as you're feeling that need, I've got a job, it's paying well, and oh, by the way, somehow I've got extra money in my checking account. And that's usually the sign of I need to start planning and putting that money away, whether it be for a house, whether it be for a car, even for a vacation. Uh, the, the basics of financial planning are not that complicated. What are some of the options people have as far as saving and investment products? We have a, a lot of different products. When you're starting off and you want to start an education fund for your child, uh, we have registered education savings plans that uh, allow for the parent or the grandparent or the uncle or aunt, whoever wants to contribute. It doesn't always have to be a parent. Make that contribution. And then the government will actually give you grant money that helps make that grow. And then when you get into uh, wanting to have a house, uh, sometimes the government has allowed people to take money out of their RSPs to help with the down payment or do renovations. Um, so at any given time, there's lots of there's lots of opportunities out there to save. But as far as financial products of what we can use, we've got a wide range. Everything from what we call guaranteed insurance certificates, so you know exactly you're going to get a certain rate of return, up to uh, seg funds or segregated funds or mutual funds, which can be either more risky or less risky. And we also have annuities for even though they're not used much these days, they're still, um, they still have a spot in financial planning. 
And is determining how people divide up their money or invest in those different options something that you do as a, a talk them through risk assessment and you talk them through, you know, goal setting and 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 duration of time as well? Do, are all those part of that process? That's exactly it, Jennifer. What's most important is we ask you pertinent questions like, if your portfolio went down by 10%, minus 10, would you be able to sleep at night? And if you're, or what would you do? Uh, would you cash it all in? Or would you go, you know what? I think I'll ride this out. It'll, it'll be plus 10 again in three or four months or three or four years, or it's, it's that ability. But it's, it's also the length of time. Like we don't, when we look at the product that you need to go in, we also look at the length of time. So if you're planning on having an investment grow in the next three years and you need the money, we're not gonna put you in a whole lot of risk because there isn't a whole lot of risk. But if you're 23 or 24 and you're starting off and you've got 40 years and you're going to do contributions on a regular basis, or you're going to do the best job you can of timing the market, you can go into a more riskier investment. So you're right. We, we look at what it is that you need and what fits your ability to sleep. David, how do we pay for financial advice? Are there advisors who are like lawyers and charge billable hours? Or are all advisors attached to a company with a financial product? No. So there's a lot of discussions around uh, how uh, advisors are paid. And uh, for the most part, I think most individuals are going to see more fee for service as we move forward. And the reason for that is we can have, we can offer products that have reasonable um, fees that are on them. And then we're better off to charge the client a fee and they can deduct that uh, author income tax. So uh, for the most part, uh, like if you go into any of the banks, financial institutions, um, they aren't, their staff are paid a salary, uh, but they're also paid bonuses based on what they're selling. So they still have, um, there is, there's a fee, there's fees that are based in there. Um, and normally they're buried in the product that they're selling. So there's no such thing as somebody working for nothing. Uh, they're either getting a piece of commission off the product or they're being upfront and saying, I'm not making a dime off the product, but this is what my billable hours are going to be. And they charge you a financial planning cert fee. Are you able to comment on what carrying the BBB accreditation seal means to you and your business and your clients? Well, when I talk about making sure that you talk to your uh, friends about who you would advise, obviously checking on BBB is more important than a Google uh, referral. Uh, when I think of our organization and other organizations that have good ratings with BBB, that means a whole lot more to me, means a whole lot more to my clients than whether I have a 3.5 or 4.5 Google rating, because uh, your ratings are based on solid information. Uh, they're, they're based on client information that, that is reliable. And so having um, my business as a BB accredited business is very, very important. Thank you so much for taking time this morning, David, to educate us on what we can do to plan for our financial futures. No problem. Thanks you. Thank you guys. And you guys have a great rest of your day. David J. Elliott is president of Sutherland Elliott Insurance and Thames Financial. You can connect with their website when you look them up in the bbb.org directory. And from that website, you'll find their offices in London, Exeter, Grand Bend, and Chatham. Sutherland Elliott Insurance and Thames Financial carry the seal of BBB accreditation. 
the sign of a better business. Part of estate planning is preparing a will. We will talk about wills after this short break. Welcome again to Ask BBB with your host, Jennifer Matthews, CEO of BBB Serving Western Ontario. We've just been talking about financial planning and building an estate. But what happens to that estate when we die is something we hope won't take place for a long time to come. To talk about wills and estate planning, we welcome Laura Geddes, Associate Lawyer with Siskins The Law Firm. Thanks for joining us this morning, Laura. Thanks very much for having me, Jennifer. What are the numbers in terms of age or net worth that indicate we should really consider drawing up a will? So there really is no exact threshold in terms of the age of a person or in their net worth that makes it kind of worth it or not to have a will. Um, in fact, it's a good idea to have a will in place in most cases, even if you perceive your own um, net worth to be on the lower side, or if you feel that you're kind of too young to think about those things, because of course, none of us know um, how much time we have, unfortunately. But um, in addition to setting out the final wishes of the person regarding the distribution of their estate, a will also appoints someone to administer the estate and take care of wrapping up those final matters. So even in estates of lower value, um, this person can sometimes deal with estate assets just on the strength of the will without needing a court order um, to officially appoint them or to uh, probate the estate. Without a will, if there's any assets to deal with at all, somebody is going to need to apply to the court to be appointed to do that. So just having a will can save a lot of headache for the loved ones that the person is leaving behind. So that's what I was going to ask is if someone dies without a will, then how are assets in the estate distributed? So in that case, um, certainly somebody needs to be appointed to distribute the assets. Usually that's kind of the next of kin person uh, based on how close in relationship they are. And then there's some legislation that fills in the gap when a person dies without a will. So if they have passed with a legally married spouse um, and no children, then their spouse will inherit their entire estate. If they die with a spouse and children, regardless of whether those children are minors or adults, then the spouse is going to receive what's referred to as their preferential share, um, which is now the first 350000 of the estate. And then the spouse and the children are going to split the remainder, depending on how many children there are. So if there's one child, the spouse gets half of what remains and the child gets the other. If there's multiple children, um, the spouse gets a third of what remains and the children divide the remaining two thirds. If there's no spouse, then the children will divide it equally. Um, and if there's no children or grandchildren, then it's kind of closest living relatives. So parents, if they're living, if not siblings and so on. Um, many people think that their assets are going to go directly to the government if they have no will. And that is not the case unless there's no living blood relatives whatsoever. Um, the other thing that it's really important for people to consider is that these provisions apply only to spouses who are legally married. So if you have a common law spouse or you're in a common law relationship and you want that person to inherit things from your estate, it's important to, uh, to make sure you have a will in place. When is it appropriate to set up a trust to distribute the assets of an estate? So a trust can be really useful in a lot of cases. Um, it's a legal construction that really splits the responsibility for managing an asset 
um, and gives that responsibility to somebody who is the trustee of the trust. And then the benefit of the asset is going to another person or multiple people who are referred to as the beneficiaries of the trust. And trusts for estate planning will most commonly be set up within the will, um, and they can be done for any number of reasons. So usually we see trusts to deal with managing funds for minor children. Um, that's at least to age 18, but some people like to bump that up a bit depending on what they know of the maturity level of their child and that sort of thing. So commonly we see trusts for children going up to age 25 or even older. Um, they're very useful to protect a vulnerable beneficiary or a beneficiary with a disability, particularly if that person is receiving Ontario disability support payments. So a properly drafted trust can protect their ability to continue to receive those payments so that any inheritance they receive doesn't disqualify them. And then, of course, um, we have cases where really they're protecting assets from a beneficiary who they want to benefit, but who may struggle with money management or um, might be in a situation where they're more likely to spend through their inheritance or even in a situation where maybe that beneficiary is in a rocky marriage and they want to make sure that those assets are protected and not necessarily going to um, the spouse of the beneficiary. So a trust can help kind of control things in those situations. Laura, what are the responsibilities of the executor of an estate? And what are some of the considerations to keep in mind when naming your executor? Sure. So that can be a big job to ask someone to do um, because they are responsible for locating, locating and collecting the assets of the estate. Um, they need to make sure that any final debts are determined and paid if it's appropriate to pay them. Um, they need to make sure that the person's final tax return is filed and taxes paid as well as filing prior year's tax returns. So if the person was a little bit um, lax in their tax filings, the executor is responsible to get them up to date and compliant. Um, and then they have to, of course, distribute the estate as set out in the will. So it can certainly be a lot of work to do all of this. Um, it's important when you're choosing an executor to consider the personality of the person you are appointing honesty, diligence, um, being a detail-oriented person, those are all good qualities to think about in an executor, as well as someone who has the time to work on settling the estate. Um, and considering whether you're naming multiple people who were, are going to work together. So sometimes people want to name two friends or all of their children or that sort of thing. Um, you have to think about, do those people have personalities that make it likely that they are going to be successful in working together to administer the estate, or are they more likely to end up fighting about things and cause delay in the process? And then it's just important to consider as well the geographic location of the person. So certainly um, having someone resident in Canada is a priority because having someone outside of Canada can cause um, tax problems for the estate, especially if that person is in the US. Um, someone in Ontario is probably best, but you can have someone anywhere else within Canada as well. What is power of attorney and where does it fit into estate planning? So the power of attorney is a document that names someone who can make a decision for you in the event that you became incapable of making that decision for yourself during your lifetime. Um, so this is the document that's used while you are living to help with decision making for you, whereas the will is the document that takes effect on the person's death. 
Um, and we typically see two types of powers of attorney in Ontario. One names someone who can manage the person's assets um, and financial situation, real estate, that sort of thing. And the other uh, names someone to make personal care decisions. So these documents are really an important part of estate planning so that you can ensure that your needs are addressed um, while you're living if you became incapable to address your own decisions. Is that power of attorney automatic in the case of a married couple or does it need to still be legally documented? So a lot of people think this, they think that because they're married, they automatically have standing to make decisions on behalf of their spouse. And that's not necessarily true. So the only time um, there is a default substitute decision maker is for the purposes of giving consent or refusal to a healthcare treatment. So that's specifically set out in a piece of legislation called the Healthcare Consent Act. So in that case, if a person does not have a power of attorney for personal care or medical decisions, then their spouse or common law partner is the default person for that type of decision making. But for any other type of decision, including financial decisions or decisions for jointly owned property, there is no default substitute decision maker, which is why it's so important to make sure you have a properly drafted power of attorney document. Uh, BBB values include trust and ethics, and how does Siskins being an accredited business fall in line with those values? Oh, yes, I think certainly um, it's important for us to feel that we have the trust and confidence of the members of our community. And I think that BBB definitely signals that to potential clients that we are an organization that they can put their faith in um, to make sure that their needs are well served. Thanks, Laura, so much for joining us this morning and letting us know what we should do to take care of everything for our families and for ourselves. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Laura Geddes is an associate lawyer with Siskins The Law Firm, specializing in wills and estates. Link to their website and social media pages through their directory listing in bbb.org. Siskins The Law Firm carries the BBB seal of accreditation the sign of a better business. Scammers take advantage of people who want to play by the rules. Stay tuned to learn why you should ignore the notice of infringement from Instagram. Welcome to this final portion of Ask EBB with Jennifer Matthews, CEO of BBB Serving Western Ontario. And on this part of Ask BBB, we look at the latest news from BBB. Yes, when you go to the bbb.org website, one of the tabs you'll see near the top of the site is latest news with the date of when the article was posted. The Instagram scam was first posted in mid-July, but as with most social media scams, it is still spreading. So when it comes to that uh, Instagram scam, what should we be watching for? So you'll receive an official looking email or a direct message on Instagram or another social media platform. The message claims that you have violated the platform's copyright terms. You must complete a form immediately or your account will be deleted in 24 hours. In some cases, the scammer may send you an email that appears to come directly from Instagram. In other variations, the fake message comes from the account you allegedly infringed upon. So what should you do if you get such a message, Jennifer? So first, stay calm. And before you click, think, is it a trick? The scammer is counting on you being so concerned about protecting your reputation that you click on the link. One business owner reported to BBB Scam Tracker that when they did click it, it took them to a fake Instagram login page with a form to complete. 
What they're asking for is your login credentials. And with that, they can take over your account and impersonate you. If you have used that same username and password on other accounts, they'll infiltrate those as well. Okay, so stay calm. What next? So go to the official Instagram website and log in. Check the account and look for any official notifications. If the scammer claims to represent a specific account or business, look them up. See if they're connected to any suspicious activity. Study the policies of the social media platform. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook all have ways to handle copyright violations and disputes. Does this message follow that procedure? If not, it can be considered suspicious. Take a look at where the messages originate. Check out the account behind that direct message. If it's from a random address, it is probably a scam. And keep in mind that scammers imitate official sources by changing or adding one letter to the address. Finally, ABB points out that you should report any suspicious activity to the social media platform and, of course, to BBB Scam Tracker and set up two-factor authentication. So if you do get hacked, you still have some protection on your account. You can read the complete notes and other articles found on the latest news tab at bbb.org. And that's our time for Ask BBB this week. If you have any comments on what you've heard on today's program, we'd love to hear from you. And if there is a subject you'd like us to include, let us know. You can contact us at hashtag AskBBB and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening this morning. I'm Jennifer Matthews. And I'm Jim Swan. Remember, always look for the BBB seal. It's the sign of a better business. <laughs>